Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the SEMA student accounting show. My name is Alan and I'm here today with Connor. Hello everyone. And on today's podcast we're going to discuss tips on passing your objective test exams, our news stories that include the disappearance of stock from a well-known fashion retailer and we have a student question. So first of all, Connor, um, we know that a lot of a lot of students are starting to join us for their SEMA exams, which is great. Um, and I think, I'll be honest, um, something that surprised me was um, the amount of students that are joining us for OTs. I, I think we certainly had an impression with SEMA that the case study was the, the big thing, the big draw. And we see a lot of providers pushing the case study all the time. But I guess what we've noticed as well is a lot of students are seeing us maybe as a a one-stop resource for objective tests and that maybe we're offering something that nobody else is really offering and catering for quite a huge amount of students. Yeah, well, I certainly think with um, the thing with the OT exams is you're never that far away from your next one. There might be a break for a case study, but the majority of your, you know, your next couple of months is then focused on OTs. Um, But as you said, I think a big draw, particularly with on-demand subjects, is that because you have access to all the courses on your your one subscription that, you know, you can tick through them. And as soon as you finish one, you have everything available for the next one. It's not a case of having to to buy a new pack or buy new materials for for um, a different subject. So it really is a, a means that you can just tick through these as as efficiently as possible. So today we, we've talked about having study plans for, for OTs and any of our members know all of this. So we, we have the study plans and we've got so many questions um, that you can practice. So each subject, and if you do your mock exams, you're answering nearly a thousand questions before you go into your exam. Now, but I, I guess the thing about it is, is that um, a lot of people look at exam advice and about the things they should think about before they go into the exam. And what we wanted to do today was talk a little bit about the, the advice that we would give when you're answering individual questions in an objective test. And if you can start bringing that advice into your everyday usage now while you're you're testing with us, you can really get into a routine and it can save you time and stress and possibly and probably make you more accurate when it comes to the day of your exam and therefore increasing your score. So these are just a few tips that we'd like to take you through. Um, and then maybe just pick the ones just to be some you kind of go well that's obvious I do that all the time and that's great but I think everybody should find at least one or two things that they can improve on and these are tips that are kind of there's a lot of research being done on how people answer objective tests or multiple choice questions and you might think oh well I don't do it that way there's a reason why research kind of works (laughs) there's there's a reason why they're saying this (laughs) and why it's done so just because you don't do it that way doesn't mean, and even if you've been successful in a previous objective test exam, doesn't mean you can't make it easier and be more successful. But that part is up to you. All we can do is provide the valuable information. Um, so we'll go through a couple of things. I think the first one is um, the process of elimination. And I think if you're faced with four, four answers, Hopefully you're familiar enough with the question that you kind of go, well, that's definitely not right. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you can identify that one, if you can get one or two away, at least get, it's much better having a 50-50 chance than a one in four chance. It's like, who wants to be a millionaire? It is, who wants to be a millionaire? But that's what it is. It's like you're 50-50. And I think if you have done enough study, because you have to be somewhat familiar with the topic, so we're assuming you are, and if you've done the study, be familiar with the topic, you certainly should be able to identify one or two of the answers that are are definitely wrong. There's no way it could possibly be that, yeah. whether it's a numerical thing and there's no way to get to it 
or whether it's a narrative that it just doesn't make any sense. And I think if you can get rid of one or two, at least then you're, ch- and it doesn't seem so difficult then. It doesn't seem yeah. so so hard when you have a choice between two. And then once you kind of narrow it down to two, it might be really obvious which one it is, but it's not always obvious when it's kind of mixed in, in the four. Um, the the next one is kind of, it sounds really obvious and it's kind of to select the best answer. And the best answer um, is not necessarily always the obvious one. And sometimes that the, the best answer is the one that that's closest linked to the scenario. And, yeah. and to explain a, an example would be if I asked you a question about what are the benefits of IFRS 16? And one of the answers says IFRS 16 is a standard and it describes IFRS 16. People, I think a lot of people are linking those two and go, oh, that's not about IFRS 16. Yeah, yeah. That must be the answer. So it looks like... But what, no. but what you're ans- looking for, the question that starts with, the benefits of IFRS 16 yeah. are, or these are the benefits. And yeah. I think and the questions are often designed to be a little ambiguous and they mm. lead you down a certain train of thought, but it's it's all about, as you said, making that connection, what specifically is being asked and mm. what fits that the best with your with your yeah, knowledge. Because the, the whole looks can be deceiving thing and you can jump straight into an answer. And it's like when you're writing long form answers, you see a kind of scenario and you see something like IFRS 16 in the middle and students write everything they know about IFRS yeah. 16. And it is that just that reaction to the question. Um, again, maybe something that might seem obvious is that when you're looking at your answers and, and let's say you have to pick one out of four, and I know there's drag and drop, there's lots of different ways you can do it, but you're picking your one out of four and you read the first answer and you think, that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to read the other ones. I'm it's sure that's time. the answer. And then you read the second one, you go, oh, that could be the answer too. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's really obvious. And I think a lot of this are really obvious, but there's a reason why people are failing mm. as well, is that to read all four answers. And then I would say go back and read the question again, because sometimes as you're reading, you, you change what you think you're being asked in your head. Yeah, so like reading that first answer, you go, yes. I have positively linked that to what I've just read. That is definitely the answer. And I think reading all of the answers um, and then deciding. And yes, a lot of the time you might prove, yes, the first answer you read was the correct one and you were right. But at least uh, it validates that that mm. view because you're also saying none of the rest of them could be right. But don't just jump straight in and go, yes, that's 100% the answer. Um, another good tip is that you can find yourself in objective test exams Um with time management getting very confused and, and getting questions that stump you. And then you find out kind of that you just spend eight minutes yeah. trying to answer a question that's going to happen. And you're no further gonna, along. And you're no further along. So I think the, the key part is your first run through an objective test should be answering all the ones that you recognize or that you know. So if something looks too awkward or you're not 100% sure or requires some thinking time, Skip to the yeah. next question. And that'll settle you as well. That'll get yeah. your confidence up. You'll know you've banked some marks and then yeah. you can come back. And then, and then at least you know the remaining time in the exam because the ones that you do know, um, I don't know, let's say on average you have two to three minutes per question depending on the difficulty. Um, you could answer 10 questions in 30 seconds because you know them so mm. well. And that has created the time for the, the more difficult ones. And you know down with the ones that are remaining you have to rest the rest of the time of your exam to figure it out. So, so it's don't kind of don't risk the easy marks by spending too much time in the hard marks first. I think is the is the thing that one. Um, 
Another thing, and I guess it doesn't happen anymore, but students are still a little bit wary, is guessing. Yeah. You, kind of go, you can't guess an exam. There's no negative marking in, in the objective test exam. So like, You're mad not to put something <laughs> down. Because, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you know, we mentioned it earlier, you've got a one in four chance. Yeah. And even, even as you said, you know, the first point, even if you don't know between three of them, but you know one's not right, your odds are getting better yeah. every time. Um, and even if it is 50-50, if you have five fifty fifties, you're bound to get two or three. Yeah, and and then that gets that you from the that get could get you from the the seventy eight to the eighty two mm. out of one hundred and fifty. So that just always guess. And again, it should be the last thing. And as Connor said, real even if it's just you should be able to rule out at least one answer and increase those odds all the time. Um, there's also a few words that people can put into questions and um. The, these words are like sometimes or always or never and you can kind of find when you're listing a question that the 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 question says which of one of the which one of these is never true or which one of these never happens and it's kind of that it's counterintuitive yeah because you're looking for the positive answer all the time and there's a ways of like sometimes or always because always could mean all of them could be true mm. sometimes could mean all of them could be true because uh, so it's that it's all about reading the question and it's not about reading just a technical part of the question. It's reading the the instructions that's given in the question itself. So what is the is it identifying the correct answer or we have questions where multiple answers could yeah. be correct. So which of these always is the case? Yeah. Or sometimes you see which is the main advantage of something or the main dis- and there again, yeah. there might be other. They could all, they they could could all, all be an roughly but true, but which one is the most prevalent? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and so the drag and drops are very much like that, where they're, yeah. they're linked and you kind of go, oh, that could fit into two of them. So it, it's really it's really about reading the question because the question isn't always a definite. It isn't always what is two plus two is yeah, equal to yeah. four. It, it, there's lots of... And I think on that point, that's that's where you have to really take note of the 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 format of the question. So, you know, sometimes people are staring at a question because they think there's only one correct answer, but it might be multiple response and things like that. So you have to build that into your, your frame of thinking. There's also a, a feeling in objective test questions to kind of um, stick to your gut. And that kind of when you're, when you're reading a, a solution, a question and a solution, and you think which one might be the answer, you kind of your first answer is kind of what you you always go for. Mm. And it's, it's kind of what your gut feeling is. And, and you mentioned game shows earlier on. I think we all play game shows and go to our, went to our gut and we're honest. We get a lot wrong as well as <laughs> a lot right. Yeah. We pretend, oh, in my head, I definitely know when Henry VIII was born. And then you get it <laughs> wrong and you realize you don't. Um, and I think so, I think there's a one thing to be aware of. And I think it, for no other reason, yes, stick to your gut. But I think in every objective test question, there's definitely a right answer. But there's also an answer generally that is put in there that is the answer that people will come up with for making the most common mistake. Yeah, that, yeah. So you're kind of go, well, if you're doing some kind of a calculation and the formula might have a plus or a minus and people are always getting mixed up, well, if you put the minus in instead of the plus the correct answer will still be there yeah, or yeah. the answer that you think is correct will still be there. So it's just this awareness that there are traps. The red herrings. The red the herrings. <laughs> and 
And the, the difficulty is you assume that if you have to make a calculation in a question and you get it wrong, well, your answer won't be there. But examiners, generally students make a similar mistake with similar topics yeah. all the time. And examiners know that. So they are planting. And what you when you see your answer there from your calculation, you think oh, it must be right yeah. because the answer is there. And I, yeah, that's where, you know, you should always just go back and review the calculation again because you do get that little bit of excitement of, oh, there it is. I must have done something right. But as you said, it can just be a subtle difference. And I can think... The amount of times I was in um, multiple choice exams where you you circle one thing and then you're flicking back to your paper at the end and you realize some silly mistake or some tiny little mistake and you change that and that gets you a different answer. Yeah, and, and a lot of it's either mistake in your calculations or you you just happen upon rereading the question again and you realize there's an and or a the yeah. or there's, there's something that changed, changed the whole understanding of the question that you had in the last time you read it. And a lot just on that, a, a lot of the times I feel one of the answers will come up halfway through the calculation yeah. and then there's something else you had to do at the end with that figure which gets you to the right answer but sometimes you're working through your calculation and you see the figure midway through so you think oh I must be done so I think with multiple choice and, and we're talking about objective tests specifically um, there's as much of a skill to do them as there is to do your case study exam and there is a a process and there is a learning and I think that's why we put so many questions and said going into your exam you could have practiced over a thousand questions with us and um, between mock exams and after our videos and then we have our special kind of quizzes and our boot camp quizzes and I think it's really important to to practice them and to understand where you went wrong so it's it's so if you did a quiz with us and you got kind of whatever 10 out of 15 correct it's kind of not about where you went right. It's have do you, have you remembered? Have you figured out where you went wrong? And to do that soon afterwards means that you can remember what you were thinking when you're answering those questions. So you can think, well, I'm not surprised I got that wrong. I didn't have a clue. Or I thought that was right. I was convinced that was right. Mm. Why, why am I right now? Um, and I think it's definitely a skill that you need to build. Uh, it's a confidence thing. Um, there's lots of time management still applies um, you still need to do a lot of study beforehand because the vastness of objective tests is they can ask you any corner of the course in a question and that could be important so but it is a, it is a skill and it is its own skill and if you follow those those few rules that we we talked about today and you apply that as you're taking on your subjects I think you'll do really well and much better in your exam. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for extra content, important news, live streams, study tips and much more. So our first story this week is what one country are doing to keep top talent um, within their country and coming to their country. And it's something we've seen before, um, certain countries lowering income tax rates for young employees, because now the world is so... Um, global that people do move around for jobs they can work for foreign companies so france are making it easier for companies to hand out shares to employees in a bid to attract more tech workers and um, france you know we've seen a lot of stuff of france trying to become a kind of tech hub of europe mm -hmm. so the government has plans um, that will make it possible for foreign companies to share ownership with employees based in france and they're also uh, removing restrictions on startup visas um, in France so that they can they can get top talent coming in there. 
Um, it's kind of, uh, this story is a bit in light of this feared brain drain from Europe, which has been happening mm. uh, with people going to Silicon Valley. Um, and a lot of what they put this down to is these complicated stock, stock option policies that people can't get within Europe. So top um, kind of tech workers and even executives are staying in, in places like Silicon Valley. Um, it's certainly an issue other countries have had and most countries in Europe and Germany have been pretty... Um, I think tech workers there have been pretty vocal about it, but they've been slow to change anything. Um, but I suppose it's just another case of how you can kind of how governments can innovate to to try influence workers who stay and workers who come. Well, it's no longer about um, maybe fifty years ago or even sooner that uh, it was about attracting big companies to build big factories yeah. uh, in their in their countries and. France and Ireland and everybody would be chasing after maybe Dell or, or any of these and they still are but it's not where a lot of manufacturing has moved away mm. like Ireland, France, UK wouldn't be countries necessarily that would um, would be a natural base for manufacturing anymore and it's all to do with cost levels and taxation yeah, yeah. And, and all those type of things and so you have to kind of the one thing about the the brain rather than the brawn, I guess, is that hmm. the the brain you have to follow where the people are for something for a tech thing like that, and if they can dra- attract the people in and create successful companies, it's obviously a huge knock on effect, um, and it's even better for the environment. <laughs> but aside yeah. from that, um, but no, it's a big it, it's a big thing, and it's a, it's a good attempt. But uh, I think everybody's doing slightly different things. Was it Lithuania or Latvia we talked about before, reducing the income tax? Yeah, yeah. Yes, a Nordic company. And we've, um, yeah, even Ireland have their, I know they they changed the tax on stock options from the income tax rate to the CGT. It's all, people are trying to do little things to keep people, but what often happens, we saw with Ireland and corporation taxes, certain countries do better things and then people yeah. move there. So it's kind of a balancing act on how you keep your own employees. And, you know, as a country, you don't want to make the changes too drastic in case overall you affect the tax income. of the, yeah. And it's too drastic of an impact. And then obviously there's the EU, so you can only do so much because you don't want to upset your neighbours and all, all of those different things. So, um, But it's, it's the right attempt. But I think in Europe, there's still that challenge. The other thing that comes with the US and Silicon Valley is, is the investors. Yeah, and, and there's and, a big and, capital issue for and There's for a big capital in issue in startup in Europe. And, and I think you don't have the money or the um, maybe the level of risk-taking yeah. inherent in, in a lot of people in Europe compared to those in the US. And I think these are all little bits, but I think it's until capital is more available for countries or for companies that that's where they're gonna, still going to continue to struggle. Um, so I guess we move on to um, my one, which I find quite, it's not funny for the company, but I find <laughs> quite curious. Um, so the fashion retailer Ted Baker um, has said that it overvalued the, its stock by £58 million. Um, and only last month they said they've overvalued it by £25 million. So <laughs> yeah. it's like we've lost £25 million in a week. We yeah. thought it was in those boxes over there, but when we looked in the boxes, they were empty. And it's just, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. And I think it's back to um, last week we talked about my pet subject of the FAI and, yeah, and, and the Deloitte oil. and Deloitte leaving. And it's funny because in this case, KPMG were the auditors who spotted the £25 million, um, 
and then they brought in Deloitte to do an investigation and then Deloitte said, no, 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 it's 58 million. <laughs> and it's just, they all just swap roles. Yeah. And like, and in this article, they talk about how it's kind of embarrassing for KPMG because Deloitte found the issue. But I'm sure KPMG are finding issues for Deloitte. And it's yeah, just, yeah, it's all, it's all quite funny. <laughs> but I think, um, so we talk all the time about how kind of accounting standards play a big role in professional accounting exams. Um, and a lot of students was asked us, why do we have to learn these kind of regulations? And there's lots of there's lots of areas that you can go into, whether you're the person doing the accounts or whether you're the person involved in auditing accounts, without knowing how companies should have valued their stock and without understanding that, that they have a process you, you're going to make mistakes like losing yeah. 58 million pounds yeah. like which is and like the, the the former boss has already stepped down over what's described as misconduct sales or, or misconduct claims um, their sales and profits have gone down um, and I think there was a, a recent case a number of years ago where Tesco inflated their income by kind of bringing in income that they may get in the future and, yeah. and I think it's it's amazing that companies are still trying this, um, but it kind of does come out um, in the end, and it's going to be really, it's going to be really um, interesting to see where this actually ends up. Yeah, I think. Well, the first thing I was thinking about is all the stock takes I'd have to do back in my audit days, yeah. and thinking, you know, there's some um, some poor auditor somewhere who's have to do this but th these are I suppose it does put into a context these systems that you have in place with with audits or with companies and even in cases where it's not fully found but that things like this can go under the radar and there can be a balance on a listing somewhere and you know no one's maybe actually checking if that valuation is appropriate if that stock exists where it is um you know is it being accounted for in more than one place so mm -hmm. so you do get an idea of how all these you know certainly factor in in an audit side but as you said for any um accounting like the impact that this can have how that has to be adjusted for and then in any case study you know the the effect mm -hmm. that that can have on on how people view the company how shareholders are looking at it it's you know even the, the, a brand name is kind of pulled through the mud when you see that um stuff like this can be be going wrong and i think these are very um i think we see in all the exams that we're involved in these are very typical scenarios or case studies that are used or even part of a, a, a smaller part of a case study where they talk about stock and they stock, talk about issues. So it does really help to kind of 10, 15 minutes a day on your phone instead of playing whatever games that you do play, spending 15 minutes reading the news and kind of getting keeping up to date, not only what the issues are, but what people suggest could be the solution could yeah. very much help you in exam and I think setting. What we've always said is when you can make that connection between what you're studying and how relevant it is in the real world when you make that link you'll see the value in everything that you're studying try us for free by registering for a basic plan on learnsignal.com to get everything you need to pass your exams so Eleanor, student question which came in this week is do i need to study with a provider for objective test exams and i think this is a, a tough question for students because um if you look at objective test exams um, online and you, you look at different providers and you look at what SEMA talk about it, it's very much kind of portrayed as here's a huge amount of information, 
All you have to do is learn it and answer multiple choice questions. It's mm-hmm. that easy. It's it's like that that predictable. I think where where it becomes more difficult is that those books are, are can be huge and can be very difficult to follow and what's important and what's not important. Um, where's your guidance and where's your practice? And a lot of the books that you get now will, will have quizzes on the back, but then that's still pen and paper. It's not using the computer. It's not getting used to um, used to kind of the environment that you'll face in the exam. So I think it's really important to find obviously we're biased and, and we'd love you all to come to learn signal and you should because it's amazing but <laughs> at the same time um but i do think it's important to get some advice and to get some plan using a provider in some way and i think key into that has been able to practice lots of questions um i don't think you should take them lightly i think um yes the pass rates are generally good for them but it shouldn't be something that should be assumed that i can learn a book and answer some questions and move on to the case study uh, I think it's really important to to find out, I don't want to call it the, the trick, but your way of doing those exams like we've discussed on today's podcast to make it all work. So we'll leave it there for this week. And thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>